0: And then my suggestion is that we uh, uh, if you, uh, we have a, a time when if you want to ask me some questions, uh, please feel free to do that and I think we 'll probably have some prayer and uh, you know the intention is we 'll certainly be finished by eight o'clock so um, if you want to call the midwife, you can rush home at that point okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, I think uh, uh, just, just let me say a, a, a few things personally, can I, um, in, in a sense, about, about church life. I, I, I sometimes, if I'm sort of listening to somebody who's from a, another church, another situation, I find it quite interesting to uh, just have a little bit of insight as to their their context. I've been in really in full-time Christian ministry. I know the word full-time is a bit of a, 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 a bad term because we're, we're all full-time Christians, but if you know what I mean in terms of... Uh, uh, actually been paid for the ministry I've, I've given for f- some 45 years, although actually for the last four years I haven't been paid, but I've <laughs> uh, 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 been in kind of full-time Christian ministry for uh, some 45 years. Um, and uh, those who were there this morning, uh, John gave you a brief resume of, of my history. Uh, I think Sue and I would probably Definitely, still say that as we look back over the years, in a way, the most exciting years that we had were actually here um, when we, when I was uh, the Baptist pastor at uh, Spurcliffe Free Church, Baptist in brackets, and um, it was always Baptist in brackets, uh, and uh, I think. Because we were kind of breaking through some stuff there that was new to us that largely we didn't understand. <laughs> but you know there was a new work of the Spirit taking place, and we were kind of making some way forward in that, not, not understanding all that we were doing. And, but we had some exciting times. We did have some exciting times. Uh, I don't know if to, even John and Joe, who probably would have been closest to us at that time, would really know this. I mean, they may have suspected it, but uh, probably don't really know it. But uh, well, we were going through really quite a, a change, and uh, I suppose we, we, we did what was not untypical at that time in churches that were, were changing and being influenced by a charismatic renewal at that point. Later it was to become more established as kind of restoration, but it was initially a kind of charismatic renewal and that is that we kept the morning service fairly traditional but we began to really change the evening service um, really quite radically. Eventually that began to touch the morning service as well but initially for some time it was really uh, the evening service that we, we changed quite a bit and it, it was actually very exciting and very scary and uh, I say what even John and Joe might not know was that I probably had a period then of about two and three or three years when I used to come out into the evening meeting. And I actually used to wonder if I would die that night. I really mean that. I thought, what happens if somebody does speak in tongues and nobody interprets? So I used to get, you know, a kind of a, <laughs> will their ground open up and swallow us? You know, you kind of went through all those fears. But uh, uh, it, 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 was an ex- it was an exciting time. Um, I, I suppose I'd have to say, in all honesty, the um, although that was the most exciting time, I suppose the central. Part of my ministry was, in fact, the 23, 24 years that we had at Church of Christ the King in Brighton. And uh, there were some fairly exceptional things about that. One was the size of the church, which was about 1,000. The church community was about 1,000. Uh, and it's actually bigger now. Um, since I've left, they've broken into different sites, and now meet in meeting four sites uh, in Brighton. I get about 1,300, usually, on a sundry. Um, across the four sites. Uh, but uh, So it was a very big church in an Eng- English context. Um, the, the second rather exceptional thing about it was the eldership. So there were seven or eight of us who were always full-time elders uh, in Church of Christ the King. It was an exceptionally mature eldership and six of us were together for 20 years. It was a Quite a remarkable eldership, really, and uh, quite a remarkable period. And sometimes people now say that we've moved on um, from there. You know, do you miss do you miss, miss Brighton? I think I'd have to say I certainly missed that eldership. And that was uh, it was quite a phenomenal experience. And in in the 23 years I was an elder there we never had one bad elders' meeting. I mean, we had challenges, and you know, we had to work through things, but we never had bad <laughs> meetings. And I, 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 when I speak on, on leadership, I, I, I tend often to speak out of that experience, and I say, I think, two things that happened on that eldership, which were maybe subconscious, but nevertheless, I think, was the secret of such a long eldership, was one that we genuinely respected each other's gifting. I think we genuinely did. Um, And we honored each other's gifting. And the other thing is that nobody on the eldership tried to dominate it with his personal agenda. Uh, And I think where elderships fall apart very often, it's over one of those two issues. There's There's not a recognition of other gifting or somebody wants to push through their agenda. Uh, and uh, that didn't happen and you need to remember that on the eldership we had Terry Virgo as well but that's you know a very um, gifted anointed leader um, so I think that was a, a lot of the explanation for the strength of the eldership uh, it, was a, it was a huge privilege to, to be on that with the other guys uh, and I think the third exceptional thing about it was, of course, Terry Virgo himself. Uh, when I first went there, he was actually leading the church. After two years, he handed over the leadership to me. I, I led it for the next eight years. Uh, and uh, um, what I, I mean, there's a lot one could say about Terry and a lot that is said about Terry. But I want to tell you this. Having lived closely to Terry for 23 years, I would say that what you would perhaps observe, if you know of Terry at all, what you might have heard, um, if you have heard things about Terry, is that in terms of being a man of prayer, I've never been anywhere near somebody who was truly a man of prayer as Terry was. Um, and, uh, I mean, he carried that church and uh, New Frontiers, I think, really through his quite remarkable prayer life. And, uh, you, can, you know, you sometimes hear people are people of prayer. Uh, I, I, for 23 years, knew I was somebody who was really was a man of prayer. And I think if C.C. Uh, uh, in Brighton has had some success and uh, New Frontiers has been recognised to have some success, I think a lot is actually rooted in that, that, that we were led church-wise and indeed in this movement of churches uh, by somebody who who is really an amazing man of prayer, quite extraordinarily. So... Um, let me tell you that whether you're in a big church or a small church, there are a challenges. Probably the, the, the difference between a big church and a small church is that in a big church you get bigger challenges. Um, <laughs> uh, let, me t- let me tell you one of the challenges of a big church, and that is you've always got people leaving you because you're too big and they want to be in a smaller church. All right? That happened all the time I was there. was there. always had people leaving us because the church was too big and they wanted to go to a smaller church. I never knew all the people in in CCK. I was I lived for eight years. I didn't know them all. I mean, you just can't. And that would be so different from a smaller church, you know, where you would every, all of you would know each other to some degree. It wasn't true in in CCK. So there's that difference. And let me dispel a myth. That, the myth is that big churches have lots of money and small churches don't. Right? That is a myth. Right? We never had any money at CCK. And when we were coming up to our gift days, I always used to say, I want to remind you, this church has no money. And people would sometimes look at me in some astonishment because by the time I left, the church was taking in, I think, a million and a half pounds a year. But the reason we never had any money was because if you're a very big church, you have huge staff, huge challenges, huge projects, and you're always overstretched. And we were financially always right on the edge. And I think, you know, people think, oh, big church, they must have so much money, a million and a half pound coming in in a year. You know, but actually, we were always right on the edge. Uh, and uh, I tell you, in a big church, you have to live by faith just as much as you do in a smaller church when it comes to to uh, finance. After I'd uh, led the church for eight years, um, Terry and I kind of worked out from CCK. Terry worked um, with his apostolic gifting. I worked out from the church in a more itinerant teaching and training position. I was. saw the training in New Frontiers for quite a large number of years, but, uh, and there were five or six elders that used to look after the church day to day. But uh, Terry's apostolic gift, and my teaching gift, um, was also kind of fed back into the church but also went out uh, from the church. Uh, and then uh, f- uh, we, when we retired, when I retired from CCK, we moved down to, to Bournemouth. We've been in Bournemouth just over uh, three years. And, and uh, that's a church of about 400. We get 400 or just over on a Sunday. Uh, so it's, it's a good sized church. It's not the size that CCK was, but it's a good sized church. And Guy Miller leads uh, Citygate Church Bournemouth, as uh, it is called. And it's rather strange because at C.C.K. in Brighton, um, there was Terry who was leading all New Frontiers, uh, our fathering, father figure of New Frontiers. Uh, down in, in Bournemouth, now that we've kind of gone into these different sort of smaller spheres, be- because you know that's the way it's now developed with Terry having stepped back somewhat, uh, um, Guy Miller uh, leads the, the Citygate Church, but also he leads what we call the Commission Sphere, uh, you of course are in relational mission with Mike Betts, but we're in co-mission with, uh, under the leadership of a uh, 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 guy, Guy Miller, and so we work with about 50 churches in the UK, mainly in the uh, south south southwest, not exclusively so, but mainly in the, the south southwest. Don't know if I should say this, but I think tomorrow Westminster Chapel is going to vote on whether it joins us. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, um, Greg Haslam, has, who leads Westminster Chapel, has been very involved with us over the years. And uh, so uh, we work with about 50 churches in the UK, and then we work with uh, probably about three dozen churches in India, and we work with. Uh, Six, seven churches, something like that, in Portugal and Spain. So those are our kind of overseas uh, interests at the present time. So uh, we have a we have a Bible weekend every year, uh, which is down at West Point in the Exeter area. And last year we had three thousand six hundred there, uh, hoping to get perhaps pushing towards four thousand uh, this year for our Bible weekend. So. For any of you that have been through the the bigger new frontiers thing, as it grew and you know in, in the UK over 200 churches across the world, difficult to say now. I mean, it probably would be pushing up towards a thousand churches, I guess now. And Stoneley, you know, Bible weeks. Uh, What's happening, it's all now being repeated to some degree in the smaller spheres, <laughs> working with 50 churches in the UK, a number of churches overseas, uh, Bible Week at West Point, and uh, it'll be similar for uh, the fellowship of churches you're in with relational missions. So uh, obviously the hope and prayer is that, again, these different spheres will again grow uh, and we will you know, affect uh, more churches or plant more churches across the nation and into other nations and see the kingdom of God advance. So uh, That's sort of a couple of things that I've been involved in. So I say that partly because uh, uh, when I've just given you a bit of a study from Hebrews 1, you may even want to ask me one or two things about new frontiers, or about the shape that we're now in, or about uh, you know, how, how it's now working, uh, how much Terry Virgo used to earn, anything like that. So you may want to, uh, <laughs> if you want to come back with those sort of questions... Uh, That's fine. Uh, But I'd just like to take you for a few minutes to Hebrews chapter 1, and just a couple of verses, really, at the beginning uh, of this chapter that I'd like to share some thoughts on. Let Let me just read the first three verses. That's the only verses that we're going to look at. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, through whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, uh, as this great uh, uh, book opens up, uh, the the writer, of course, is unknown. We don't know who wrote uh, the book of Hebrews. Oregon, early Christian scholar, said who wrote Hebrews, God only knows, and that's the best you can do with it. Uh, uh, but as he opens up, what the writer does is to say that, in the past, God spoke through the prophets, and that will be a reference to Old Testament prophets, but in these last days, that has been exceeded and superseded by the fact that he has spoken to us by his Son. Now, my pastoral experience would suggest that uh, many Christians are looking for victory and breakthrough in some ways in their Christian lives, I and mean, when you come across that a lot, they Believers want a breakthrough, they want a victory uh, in their life. And very often that's associated with the idea, desire, that God would speak to me. Right? And uh, uh, we, we find that we have modern day prophets who of course are not infallible as the Old Testament prophets were. Uh, but we do have modern-day prophets, and uh, we could we could name some of them. But people with a prophetic gifting sometimes uh, bring a word personally, individually, to individual believers, and uh, uh, that can you know be quite stirring and uh, and and quite motivating when that happens, and uh, I think, I don't know if you've ever been in a meeting where you, you've uh, had uh, a prophet, male or female, and they, they are gifted to speak to individuals, and Uh, This is what happens if I'm in a meeting like this. I'm absolutely desperate that they won't pick on me. You know, please don't pick on me. Uh, But at the same time, I'm absolutely desperate that they will pick on me. (laughs) And I describe it as kind of looking at the ground and trying to smile at the same time. You know, don't look at me, but, you know, please look at me. Um, And uh, the trouble is that there are are then believers who feel, well, I've never heard a word. (laughs) You know, I haven't got a prophetic word. Nobody's, Nobody's brought a prophecy to me. You know, God hasn't spoken to me. Well, what I want to remind you about tonight is that it says here in Hebrews, in these last days, in these days of fulfillment, God has spoken to us by his Son. Right? So, uh, God has spoken. Uh, Jesus is the Word of God, and by what Jesus has said, and by what Jesus is, he has spoken to us. Now, when the writer has said that he then goes on to give a magnificent seven-fold description of the person of Christ. And I think what happens for many believers coming to these opening verses of the book of Hebrews is that they can see the first uh, statements as a kind of introduction. God spoke through the prophets in the past, uh, in these uh, last days, he has spoken to us by his son, that's the introduction, and now we get uh, a wonderful description of the person of Jesus Christ. Well, What I want you to actually see is that this wonderful description of the person of Jesus Christ is actually to be applied in terms of God speaking to us by his Son. So we get a description, sevenfold description of the person of Christ, which is wonderful, but what is it that God is actually saying to us through that? He's speaking to us through his Son. What's he saying? Well, let me try and make this quite practical and just uh, pick up these seven, um, these seven descriptions of Christ. And uh, Obviously, I'll pick them up briefly, but just try and give you some idea of what God might be saying to us because I don't want anybody to leave here tonight saying that God never speaks to me. God does speak. He's spoken to us through his Son. Now, what's he saying? Okay, so let's see. Pick up the, the first thing that is said here uh, that he is appointed heir of all things. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. So Jesus is the heir of everything. That actually reflects uh, a statement in Psalm chapter 2 uh, and verse 8, uh, where uh, we see something very similar said, and which is obviously being now. Apply to the person of Christ. Because in Psalm 2 and verse 8, it says, Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Hebrews picks that up. Talking of Christ, it says that he has been appointed heir of all things. Which means that Jesus is in some way going to inherit everything. And that the nations and the ends of the earth will be his possession now is god speaking to us through that and i would say yes he is because i think as we look at the at the church today and we see the church in its apparent relative weakness there can be a temptation perhaps to back off and to uh, you know think well not uh, not All that much is happening, we can get disappointed, or we can get disillusioned. But actually, the promise is that Jesus has been appointed heir of all things, and the the nations and the ends of the earth will be his possessions. Now, when I first became a, a, a pastor about 45 years ago, this was something I personally had to settle in my own thinking and understanding. And I might not have worked it through in exactly the terms I'm going to now give you, but in effect this is what, what actually happened. I was, I was um, becoming a Baptist pastor uh, at a time when really Baptist churches were in, in pretty rapid decline. There were 3,000 Baptist churches in this country, and at the time I became a Baptist pastor only six of them were growing out of 3,000. Now, um, I'm sure that amongst the 3,000 there are probably others who are putting on one or two members, but only six were making any significant growth out of 3,000 Baptist churches in this country. And the uh, baptismal figures were declining year by year. It did not look super, uh, on the surface as though I was joining something that was marching forward with great victory, success and triumph. But I tell you this... What I was confident of and why I felt I really did want to become a Baptist pastor at that time and get into to ministry was that I believed in my heart that Jesus would finally have the victory. Whatever, however it appeared, that was my conviction, that Jesus would finally have the victory. Um, I don't know if you ever heard this story, but it's said that when the Americans uh, joined in the Second World War on our side, that... Uh, Winston Churchill, of course, who was Prime Minister at the time, was asleep in bed. Uh, one of his aides went into his bedroom, woke him, up, woke him up and said, Mr Prime Minister, America has entered the war. And Churchill said, we've won. Now at that point, we were being thrown back everywhere. We weren't winning any victories. Right? We were you know, in disarray to some degree. But as soon as Churchill heard that America had entered the war, he knew at that moment, with all the might and power of America, that victory was certain. And uh, I think what we need to remember as we read this statement is that God is speaking to us through his Son, and sometimes it may look as though we're weak, and sometimes it may look as though we're, we're being thrown back, but actually because of Jesus, brothers and sisters, we've won. <laughs> the final victory is assured in the power of the person of Jesus Christ. Does God speak to us? Yes, he does. Are you tempted to back off, to backtrack? Just hear what God is saying through his Son. He's made his Son the heir of all things. Right? and He will have the nations of the world, the ends of the earth will be his possession. And uh, then the the next thing it says about the person of Christ is through whom... Also, he made the universe. And this is a statement, of course, of the fact that God has, uh, through the agency of Jesus Christ in some way, brought everything into existence that, that does exist. Now, I know that we are at a time in, in Christian debates when, when Christians will, and evangelical Christians, will debate the age of the earth. They will even debate the methodology Um, that God used in terms of bringing everything into existence as we see it at the present time. But actually, beyond and above those debates, let me say this, that every Bible-believing Christian is actually a creationist, knowing that there was a time when there was nothing at all, God spoke, and now everything that is visible is in existence. As I've sometimes tried, I, I kind of try and read up a bit on this kind of thing from time to time. And one of the things that I discover as I read up about it is that it's very difficult to fully appreciate total nothingness. Um, yeah. But, you know, the scientists, Christian or non-Christian, will actually say that there was a time when there was nothing at all. There was absolutely nothing. I mean, you can't even speak of space, let alone specks in space. There wasn't even space. There was just nothing. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, you, you've got people today saying that nothing produced everything out of nothing. Well, I don't know how anybody can believe that, all right? nothing produced everything out of nothing, when the Bible tells us that God produced everything out of nothing. It's uh, it's there, isn't it? In fact, at the beginning of Hebrews uh, chapter 11, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. At one time there was nothing visible, there was nothing at all. And out of that nothingness... God has brought the whole of the universe in its immensity into existence. Uh, ever, ever ever thought to yourself, why is the universe as big as it is? You ever think of questions like that? I, I tease those sort of questions out in my thinking, because you... You know, the scientist tells us that, uh, you know, things are billions of light years away. And, uh, I mean, the, the, you know, you start to hear the distances and the measurements and the size of some planets. I mean, we're, we're just a tiddly little planet and the sun is a tiddly little sphere compared with some of the, the planets and stars that are out there. And you, you hear of, of the immensity of it all. And, uh, I mean, what's it all doing for a star? I haven't thought that. What's it actually all doing? Well, the Bible will tell you that what it's doing is is declaring the glory of God. I'll tell you something else it's doing, and that is it's waiting for Jesus to return and for the full restoration of the whole of the universe to perfection under the reign of Jesus Christ. Um, But why is it so big? I'll tell you why it's so big. It has to be big enough for people who are going to live forever because I believe that throughout eternity we will explore the infinite riches of Jesus Christ, that's Ephesians 3, and the infinite riches of Jesus Christ will include the whole restored universe. And, uh, you know, as I said this morning, you're not just going to be up there in one white fluffy cloud playing your guitar on an endless bank holiday Monday, all right? We're going to be explorers forever of the infinite riches of Christ, and that will include the display that will be there throughout the whole regenerated universe. So, Jesus is the agency through whom God has made the universe. What's he saying to us? Well, I think he's saying at least this, enjoy it. I do believe that. I think he's saying enjoy it. Uh, Sue and I have been to South Africa a lot. I think it's probably our favourite country we've we've travelled to. Amazing country, amazing scenery and again uh, the game we've stood in Cape Town and we've looked at Table Mountain and you see that amazing mountain, oh, goodness me isn't it wonderful what God has done. And then uh, you talk to South Africans and obviously they, they know you've come from England by your accent and they say what part of England do you come from? Well for most of the time I travel to South Africa I would say Brighton. And I was surprised how many South Africans knew Brighton. And what they would usually say is, oh, that's where you have rocks on the beach, isn't it? And Because you have pebbles in Brighton. They always used to describe them as rocks on the beach. And then they'd say, um, I really like your beaches. Now, I could never understand that. Because in South Africa, in Cape Town, the beaches are just glorious sand. Now, it's true, in Brighton, we didn't have sharks eating us. But, I mean, it was just pebbles. Um, and I thought, well, if South Africans can enjoy Brighton Beach, I think we can, you know, enjoy the rest of creation. I think we, God has made all things for us, you know, to enjoy. I really believe that. And uh, we need to consciously enjoy the creation that God has given to us. That's one of the things he says to us, enjoy it. He's made it, enjoy it. And then the sun is the radiance of God's glory. It's a bit more demanding but the, the picture is, uh, I think, fairly evident. Imagine uh, the sun up in the sky. It's, what is it, 93 million miles away. And yet, across that distance in space, we actually feel the sun. Well, you may not believe that at the moment. But there are times <laughs> when, when we actually feel, feel the sun so far away, and yet we feel that sun. And God is so far away from us in holiness... And in majesty, and yet, in some amazing way, we feel His glory. Now, I want to make this practical. If God is speaking to us through His Son, what's He saying? Well I think to make that practical, I want to take you to John chapter one and verse 14, uh, because uh, we get, I think, some indication there, Gospel of John chapter one and verse 14. and this is what we read about the person of Jesus Christ the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen note this his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth so if in fact Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and God is speaking to us through his son what is he saying to us as Jesus being the radiance of God's glory. He's saying something about grace and truth because it says here that Jesus is the one in whom we have seen the glory and that glory from the Father is full of grace and truth. So there is grace in the glory of God. And the fact that you know salvation, the fact that you know God has taken an initiative in your life, the fact that you know that God has drawn you to himself and made you his son or his daughter, you've experienced and felt the grace of God. And that grace of God is something of the glory of God that you feel. And the other thing is truth. I'm very strong on this. I always believe that actually we only get the full truth in Jesus Christ. I think one of the amazing things about being a Christian is this. Once we were outside, we haven't crossed the line, and we're over here, and we haven't crossed the line of faith, and uh, uh, Christianity might have seemed irrelevant to us, it might have been meaningless to us, uh, we might have had all sorts of reactions. And one day we cross the line, and we're into Christian faith, and we know that our sins are forgiven, and we know that we're saved, we know that we're on our way to heaven, but actually there's more than that now, everything makes sense. Where have we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? And actually, we've now got hold of the full truth. We get answers to all those questions. and It's like a belt of truth around our lives. And so when it speaks of uh, the fact that the sun is the radiance of God's glory, we feel the sun, 93 million miles away, touching us, but we also feel God's glory. Jesus is full of grace and truth. And that grace and that truth touches our lives and we feel it. That's what God is speaking to, about, to us about through his Son. Don't say that God hasn't spoken to you. He's spoken to you through his Son. And then it goes on and says he's the exact representation of his being. And the picture there, of course, is... Uh, this is often said, is of, of like a press that's coming down on a bit of metal uh, and, say, pressing out a coin. And whatever is on the press is exactly stamped out onto the coin. And this is uh, the description that's being given of Jesus, that actually what God is, Jesus is. Exactly what God is, is exactly what Jesus is. It's like the, the press coming down and stamping out the exact representation onto a coin. Just be a bit careful with that. It's not saying that Jesus is like a photocopy of God. All, right? all that God is, Jesus is. And that's important because, again, God is speaking to us through his Son. And what's he saying to us? Well, it's possible that we can divide up the Trinity a bit and we can feel that you know, God is a bit severe, God the Father is a bit severe, and Jesus Christ, his Son, is rather more approachable. But actually, we need to understand that what God is, Jesus is. And so Jesus, if he is approachable, is saying to us, God the Father is approachable. It's exactly the same. And uh, I I love the way that it actually uh, comes out in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4. It's right at the end there, isn't it? Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have access to the Father because Jesus Himself has opened up that access in terms of what he's done for us at the cross. Here's a story I often use, uh, but there's a picture I try and give to bring this home. Uh, I want you to imagine that I'm wanting to see the Queen of England, and so what I do is I get on a train in Bournemouth, and I travel up to Waterloo, and from Waterloo I get a a tube train across to Victoria, and I get out of Victoria tube station, I walk uh, down the road there to Buckingham Palace, the flags there telling me the Queen is in the palace and so I approach the the railings of Buckingham Palace and uh, there's an armed soldier these days on guard there and I, I say very politely, my name's John Hosier, I've been a loyal citizen of Queen Elizabeth II all my life, can I please speak to my Queen? And he says, of course, John Hosier, and he opens up the gates of Buckingham Palace, and I walk across that big square that you, you know there in front of the palace, and I come to a side door, and there's an armed policeman these days there. So again, I'm very polite. I'm John Hosier, uh, and I've been a loyal citizen of Queen Elizabeth all my life. I'd please like to speak to the Queen. And he says, Of course, John Hosier. So I go into Buckingham Palace and I begin to open doors as I walk down the corridors to see if I can find the Queen. And eventually I open a door and there she is. And it's, let's say, the state opening of Parliament that day. So she's dressed in all her. Royal finery. and She's got a crown on her head, and so I go and I kneel before her and I say, "Your Majesty, I've been, I'm John Hosier, I've been a loyal citizen uh, of Your Majesty all my life. I've come to ask you to grant me a request. Let me tell you this: not a chance, <laughs> right? Not a chance, right? The train will probably even break down going out of Bournemouth station, all right? <laughs> let, alone get, let alone get into the presence of the Queen." But you know what God is saying to us through his son this day wherever you are at any time you can walk directly into my presence and you can speak to me king of kings and lord of lords that's what he's saying to us through his son move on and we we see that uh, also he sustains all things by His powerful word. So, the, the Jesus through whom everything was brought into existence is also the Jesus who sustains and holds everything uh, together. In, in Greek mythology, the figure of Atlas is uh, uh, pictured as carrying the world on his shoulders. That's a very passive picture. All right, Jesus, He carries the world and holds it all together. Um, but actually he is taking it to a glorious consummation and conclusion. So it's not a passive uh, sustaining of the world or of the universe. He's actually going to bring it actively to a positive consummation. Now, if that's a statement again about the person of Christ, what is God saying to us through that, through his son? Well, I would suggest he's saying this that the Jesus who sustains this whole universe and this world in its existence, and let's face it, preachers like myself are very good at telling congregations that everything is falling apart, but actually Jesus still actually holds it all together. Right? Um, that the Jesus who holds and sustains all things and will bring them to a glorious conclusion will actually regard you as part of his creation And therefore, will sustain you and bring you to a glorious consummation and conclusion. Now, I'm aware as I preach around that there's often people in congregations that I'm preaching to who are desperate. You know, they're going through tragic things, bad things, desperate things, terrible things. And, uh, you know, God, speak to me. I believe that what God would say to anybody in that situation is that he who has began a good work in you will bring it to a glorious conclusion at the day of Jesus Christ. Because that's what he's going to do for his created universe. And you're part of his created universe. And he'll bring you to a glorious conclusion. And I would have to say that uh, in 45 years of ministry, probably one of the things I would identify as very near the top of my most shall I say, moving experiences of ministry is this, is to observe Christian believers who have been going through really tragic and terrible times but whose lives do not fall apart because they know that they are still sustained by the eternal and ever-loving Christ and he will bring their life finally to a glorious conclusion. Amen. And then uh, we read that uh, he provided purification for sins. And we move here from the cosmic Christ to to the personal Christ, if I can put it like that. We've been reading about the Christ through whom the universe is created and the, the Christ who sustains all things. But also, he is the Christ who has provided purification for your sins and for my sins. And uh, isn't it wonderful to know that all our sins are forgiven through the work of Christ? I, I once heard Gerald Coates say, the good news is gooder than we often believe. And I've, I remember that old phrase... Yes, Gerald Coates Coates once said, "The good news is gooder than we often realise it is." All right, (laughs) and I think the gooder thing about the uh, the good news of Jesus Christ is He is the one that has forgiven us all our sins. That's what it says in Colossians chapter. What is it? Two twenty-eight. Is it that He forgave us all our sins? Uh, I came across a verse in. In Isaiah, when I was reading through Isaiah a couple of years back that has stuck with me, where the prophet says, God has put all our sins behind his back. That's Old Testament, but it's a great gospel statement, because it's not as though our sins never existed, but God no longer sees our sins. Right? He's put them behind his back because of the work of Christ in dying for our sin, carrying the punishments and the, the condemnation. Uh, for our sins all our sins past present and future are forgiven in Christ it's not that that Jesus has forgiven some of our sins or most of our sins or all of our sins except one Jesus forgives us all our sins past present and future now Christians sometimes think it's dangerous to say that Christ has forgiven our future sins But actually, I'm persuaded that if we genuinely believe that Christ forgives us all our sins, past, present and future, it's actually a motivation upon us, therefore we don't want to sin. Actually, it motivates that. Um, Dead to sin and alive to God, as it says in Romans 6.11. I'm pulling out all my old illustrations here, but this is a favourite of mine. It always makes people laugh, so I'm going to throw it at you. Uh, Christians sometimes ask the question... You know, why, if all our sins are forgiven, do we still, as Christians, ask for forgiveness of our sins? You ever ask yourself that one? All right, we're always saying, God forgives us all our sins, but then we say, John 1, 1 John 1, 9, God is faithful and just, if he will confess our sins, he will forgive our sins, okay? So why do we, and that's written to Christians. So why, why do we, as Christians, haven't been forgiven all our sins, which is stated so clearly in the New Testament, still confess our sin? What you need to understand, and I, I know that a lot of Christians have not really grasped this, is that actually forgiveness of sins is both forensic and relational. Now, let me explain that. We, all our sins are forgiven in a legal sense. Uh, and here's the illustration. The illustration is that Sue and I are driving along in the car, and we're going somewhere we haven't been before, and Sue has the map, I'm driving, she's navigating and at some point in the journey Sue says to me oh dear, we've got this wrong we should have turned left five miles back and I say to Sue can't you even read a map yet you need to understand that this is hypothetical this sort of thing never actually happens (laughs) and uh, (coughs) and at that point there's a certain coldness that comes into the car now Let me tell you this, that Sue and I have been married 45 years and forensically, legally, nothing changes. Right, forty-six years, 45 years ago, uh, we were married. Uh, There's a legal document that says it. The government knows it. Uh, all our friends know it. Everybody uh, who knows us in any way knows it. 45 years ago, we were legally married. Sue and I have met in the car a moment of distinct coldness, but nothing has changed legally. We are still married. But I tell you this, something has changed relationally. All right, and what I have got to do is actually apologise to my wife and say we'll get a sat nav for the future. Okay, so. <laughs> now that's why, as Christians, we need to ask for forgiveness of our sins. When you sin as a Christian, nothing changes legally. Right? It's legally determined that all your sins are forgiven. But relationally it changes. Right? And we need to walk in the light. Right? There needs to be fellowship between us and God. That's why you need to ask forgiveness of your sins as a Christian and uh, that's what thats the sort of thing that God is saying to us through this that Christ has provided purification for our sins have you heard that that all your sins are forgiven in Christ we are free for freedom Christ has set us free that's what he's saying to us and finally that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven And that's not uh, suggesting that there are literally kind of three thrones in heaven, you know, God the Father in the middle and Jesus in the throne on one side and the Holy Spirit on the other side. Even the original readers of this would have understood that speaking of Jesus being at the right hand of the majesty in heaven is speaking of the fact that Jesus is ascended to the highest place. He's exalted to glory. Uh, uh, re- let me remind you that Jesus is pictured in the book of Hebrews as a high priest, and as the priests served in the temple, no priest ever sat down because there was always more sacrifices to offer. You know, they couldn't go after costers for a coffee break, they had to keep at it. They couldn't, couldn't sit down. But Jesus, our high priest, after he provided purification for sins once and for all, his priestly work in that sense was finished, and he sits down. He's finished the work to cleanse us from our sin. So he's exhorted to the highest place, he is seated because he's finished his priestly work for our sins, and also he's seated there waiting to return. Now, um, one of the things that hasn't been mentioned is that when we actually finished at CCK uh, and I retired from there, we went for a year to so South Africa, actually, before uh, coming moving to Bournemouth. I, I now refer to that as my gap year. It just came a bit late. Okay? <laughs> so I retired and we went to South Africa. and We worked with the church in Cape Town for a year. We came home at Christmas and then we, we went back um, for the second half of our our time there and you'll remember that before this winter we've had three severely cold winters and we were flying back to Cape Town just after Christmas in one of those severely cold winters uh, three or four years back and uh, uh, we got up to we got to Heathrow airport it's freezing freezing cold and uh, you know these days that if you fly, you, you go online and you check in online. And so when you get to the airport, you, you simply have to go to the fast bag drop, except that everybody's booked in online. So it's now the slow bag drop. And you snake down through this queue. And we got to the, begin, to, to the front of the queue. And the guy said there, where you you going? We said Cape Town. And he said, oh, you can't drop your bags for Cape Town at the moment, which was a bit odd. So he said, come back in half an hour. So we went off, had a coffee, exactly half an hour later, we get to the end of the queue, we snake all the way around again, we come to the front, and he says, where are you going? I say, Cape Town. He said, you can't drop your bags yet, so you have to come back in half an hour, So even stranger. So we go back and wander around the shops, come back half an hour later, get to the front of the queue again. Where are you going? Cape Town. I'm sorry, you I said, excuse me, this is the third time I've been to the front of this queue. He said, oh yeah, okay, he says, go over there. So we go over to join a, a group of miserable-looking people. And uh, they're waiting for the Cape Town flight. And we just stand there for a long time. And this is genuinely the case. An official comes out and he gathers us together and says, I need to tell you this, your plane is broken. Now, that's alarming if you're about to fly to, to Cape Town. And I always visualise you know, that the wing had gone like this or something. So, so he said, now would you believe this if you fly? He Said, um, what well, we've got to get another plane and your flights will not be delayed. I'm thinking, you liar, you <laughs> know. And eventually, we, we actually get to the point where we're to board the plane. Of course, there's no plane, and so you know, takeoff time goes, we're you know, we're just sitting there. And eventually, they've obviously got some super glue or something and stuck the plane back together. And, and uh, the plane comes out, and we get on the plane, so we're, we're, we're already very late. And as we settle down, the pilot says, he says, I uh, think it's your captain speaking, he says, you know it's bitterly cold here at Heathrow, we're therefore having to de-ice all the planes, but to be honest, we don't have enough de-ices, we're not used to this weather, and so we're way down the list, I'll let you know, you know when it's coming near. So we sit there, time rolls on, and after a, you know, quite a long time, he comes on again and says, this is your captain here. He says, "Um, sorry about this, folks, but uh, there's a guy on the plane just over there, which you can see through the windows. He says he's got a bomb, and they've closed down Heathrow Airport. All right, so they then close down Heathrow Airport. Blue flashing lights, planes uh, having to be emptied and all this kind of thing. Hour goes by. He comes back on again, and he says, okay, Heathrow is now open again, he says, but we're way down the de-icing list again. So hours and hours and hours after we're meant to take off, eventually we take to the skies. But let me tell you this, we weren't bothered because we'd been upgraded to business class. <laughs> 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 this is a 12-hour flight and we're going to get a flatbed and, you know, there's the hoi polloi behind and they're all in the upright seats. But we're drinking champagne. We'll, we'll sit there for hours, you know. We've been upgraded, and we're happy to sit there and to wait for takeoff. Let me tell you this: Jesus has been upgraded to the highest place, all right? And he sit there, sits there waiting for takeoff, all right, to come back and actually rescue his people. What's God saying to us as Christ is exhorted to the highest place? He's saying that Jesus, who died for our sin, rose, ascended. He's there in glory. He's saying that he is our high priest who gave one effective sacrifice for sin and therefore he sits down. He's saying that one day he's going to come back and take us to himself, that this cosmic Christ has got everything under his control. And so as you look at this passage... What I want you to really understand is that though God spoke through the prophets of old and though God brings prophetic words to believers today through modern day prophets, please don't say to yourself, God never speaks to me. God has spoken to us through his Son. And he tells us that everything is under his control in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. I think I was probably longer than I was meant to be, but um, <laughs> uh, that's the, the, that's the uh, temptation. My wife is giving me a quizzical look. Right, that's what happens when you preach without notes. All right, so um, any questions? Um, if you want to ask me anything, let's say more generally about new frontiers. If you know a question like that, or if you want to ask me.